What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today, we are talking about Season 2, Episode 8, Necessary Evil. How's it going, Mike? Keith, I'm fired up. Today, we've had a wonky week of releases and whatnot because we're adjusting our schedules for certain things, and so I didn't get to watch the episode until just now. Oh my and god, so let, fresh. Let me t so fresh, so clean. Not me, though. Uh, I am fired up about this episode in a good way, I think. Uh, it all hasn't totally processed yet, so I still have a little uh, brain thinking to do. Uh, as, as you know, as, as, <laughs> as opposed to elbow thinking, yeah, you know, which happens quite a, quite a lot. Anyway, long story short, I'm really excited to pick it apart and talk about it with you and relive it. Uh, a couple of questions linger, nonetheless. Excited to be here with you, my friend. Uh, back to back days, we're just firing it out. So thanks for all of you joining us. Let's get to it. Yes, indeed. So uh, if you missed it in your feeds yesterday, we posted a. Uh, on K&M Geekly, definitely check it out. Should be in your feeds, and we'll uh, probably end up in podcast feeds once Mike does that, right, mm -hmm. Mike? Yes, yes, it's coming. I'm gonna wait till the first we get the first few outs before I start that. All right, well that that's gonna be fun. We did an entire episode all about the Halloween series, so uh, I ranked every single Michael Myers movie, all twelve of them. Then we did a deep dive into Halloween ends. So check it out in your feeds if you haven't seen it already. And uh, while we're doing that, I think we should talk about our patrons, huh? Yeah, Keith, we couldn't do the show without them. Uh, we try to keep it free for you here on YouTube until we can advertise the hell out of it. Uh, and until then, uh, we were brought to you from the, the loving donations, the <laughs> altruistic donations of our patrons. Uh, and I have the slide, absolutely have it. It's just so ready to go, right? right You're not there. loading it right now. There you go. Keith, why don't you tell us who they are? I'll be happy to. Our patrons this week are Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, Cloud Lover69, Jason Moe, Jorge Naboa, the mysterious and the mysterious Worf's Bootshivs, Alan Zimmerman, CRM Productions, Charles Babbage, and Grim toys you can join them at patreon.com slash k and m spell out that and and get all of the hot bonus content including watching mike watch this episode you you can actually if you watch them back to back you can get about three hours of mike's life in running time mm -hmm. uh really just wanted to just watch exciting mike's how life. exciting yeah <laughs> very exciting yeah that's you know watch uh watch lonely cat dad do Star Trek stuff. You can 100% do it. So uh, super fun. Yeah, check out all that fun stuff. Keith, um, and our patrons might just get this month uh, before the month is out, or maybe early November. We'll see how it all pans out. But a little special episode of look at Mike's brand new toys, because I got something I want to share with you, Keith, and unbox. I am excited. Uh, yeah, well, well, you were texting me last night. I, I thought you were going to a baseball game or something because we couldn't record, and you're like sending me videos from a toy store. Well, that's from uh, Target. That's from a few days ago, actually. So I just I have forgotten to send it to you. Uh well, that's uh, that's always fun. Mike has got the bug. I'm so sorry, Jen. Um, true. Hope you guys hurry up and buy that house so you have space <laughs> <laughs> because right now you and your what 15 cats now at this uh, point. It's getting there. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, just as many actions. In girth, figures. it's 15, for sure, in girth. I mean, in girth, I'm a whole bag of cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, let's go. Let's move. All right, let's talk about 
Star Trek Deep Space Nine Season 2 Episode 8, Necessary Evil, which aired on November 14th, 1993. Uh, Mike, do you remember what song we were hearing? Oh, uh, no, I don't, and I can't wait to uh, <clears throat> clear the pipes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you would do anything for the podcast, but I won't look up the song. Uh, is that Jim Steinman and the meats? I would do anything for love. It sure is. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Mm-mm. So, uh, classic, classic tune. And, that, and get, uh, won't do what? Oh, get his cholesterol in check. Hey, you know what? I won't do that either. So I'll do anything for the podcast, but I'm not going on Lipitor again. Not because I am against Lipitor and Lipitor is effective and safe, but I just don't want to go to the doctor because I have issues. I need to talk to my therapist anyway. It's fine. All right. So the top movie was, uh, I will give you, I'll give you $20 if you can tell me who the three of these are. Because we are watching The Three Musketeers. Who are the actors in The Three Musketeers, Mike? Uh, the Three Amigos, I have a shot. The Three Musketeers, no shot. No idea. Well, it is an, a very odd, very specific, and very early 90s lineup of actors. We have Charlie Sheen, Kiefer Suther Sutherland, and Chris O'Donnell. Okay. Hey. There's... I mean, very successful TV careers after that. But then the other one's Robin, so. Yeah. Uh, With really, nipples, uh, though. I mean, he had nipples. Nipples Robin, of yeah. course. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, so that's what we were seeing in the theaters. That's what we're listening to in our ears. What were we watching on our standard definition televisions that night, Mike? Well, we had Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman on of ABC. Course. The green, green glow of home, if you remember that one. That's when I think one Not of the first times, yeah, he goes back to the Fortress of Solitude, I believe. Oh, oh, that was the episode of Lois and Clark. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Um, and then followed by ABC Sunday Night at the Movies, where this movie, do you remember this? A Mother's mm. Revenge. Got nothing. That was a TV movie? Yeah, CBS, we had 60 Minutes, followed by... I feel like Delta a, Burke would have been the special. Star of that. We were doing a miniseries on CBS, Return to Lonesome Dove, Keith, Part One. Oh, Lonesome Dove. Yep. Yeah. One of my favorite episodes of Married with Children aired on Fox. That was the No Ma'am episode. That's where Al and his like man compartments. They, they there was like a. Uh, it was like an anti-feminist man group. <laughs> I'm sure it, it held it, up real well. <laughs> a, a man compartment? Is that like the trill pocket? Oh, boy. And then NBC uh, had eyewitness video on. So that's what we were watching in prime time. Uh, sounded like an exciting night of TV. Well, NBC basically just had TikTok. Yeah, yeah, they tried. Yeah. They're doing the best. Wow. Okay, well, uh, enough of that nonsense. Enough of that chicanery and tomfoolery, we're going to need to talk about the hard news. Oh, yeah. The hard news this week, uh, some very exciting health, you know, continuing our, our uh, theme mm -hmm. of important health things, we have a miracle tea that cures. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Colds and flu. Good. Heart trouble, Ooh, so you don't need go. your Lipitor. Yeah, meatloaf, get on that. There is memory loss. So you remember that Delta Burke movie you mentioned? Mm -hmm. Baldness, oh, allergies, wow. deafness, fatigue, and weight problems. I have pretty much all of those. You better get on your tea, Keith. I need to get on my tea. Also, uh, 
UFO found in an iceberg. That's fun. Blind schoolboy sees with his ears, nose, and toes. Okay. That's uh that's that's quite an I've interesting some blind uh a, a cases of blind people learning echolocation, so that's pretty close. Yeah, I I'd love to see what you see with those toes. Yep. And of course, groom's kiss kills bride. Well, Keith, you know I have a thing about toes. I I sure I sure do, Mike. I sure do. <laughs> Uh, inside joke for people who the six people who watched KM Geekly this week. Yeah, that's right. Well, the six of you are going to know what I mean by that, yeah, and it will be not hilarious to any, <laughs> not to you, but to me. Apparently, I find it utterly hilarious. All right, so this episode, Necessary Evil, was directed by James L. Conway, who last directed Duet. Mm, you know, I love Duet. Indeed. Uh, and it was written by Peter Allen Fields, who last wrote The Circle. All right. So now we don't have a lot. You know, it's funny. There's less trivia on the good episodes and the bad episodes. Yeah, that makes sense. It doesn't mean it's no, not I, I trivial. I have to know who no. was playing that the the woman. I, I, I My guess was Kim Cattrall, but I don't think it could possibly be her. It was definitely not Kim Cattrall, but it was, a Kim, it was a Kim Cattrall part. Yes, absolutely. She, she basically stole Kim Cattrall's part. Uh, but before we do that, we got to do something more trivial, Mike. Now, Keith, waste your time with trivial trivia. All right, so this first one is uh, actually not as trivial to, uh, it, it, to, to the world. It's kind of interesting an interesting wrinkle to the story of this episode. So it's a bit of a spoiler for our conversation about a 30-year-old uh, episode. <laughs> okay, good. Good to know. Uh, but uh, there was a deleted scene in which we find out that Palra, the Kim Cattrall part, was having an affair with Ducat. Oh, that would have been an extra wrinkle. Yes. And so that that was actually shot. And uh, Mark Alima plays to cut was pissed that it was cut. Um, it does add. It does give that character a little. Would have given that character a little more agency, really. But I, I mean, I guess not agency. But it would have given her a little more reason to be as duplicitous. No, I guess it works either way. But. All right. Well, well good I, 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 it, it's interesting. I think it tells us more about Ducat than it tells about her. But I understand why they cut it because it's not about that. Right. Right. It like the, the it ends up. It would have been a red herring that would have made us think it was all about Ducat when it really wasn't. Right. So, in fact, they I, really do a good job in this episode of keeping Ducat sort of our, our is how bad is he. Uh, questions about him alive but also within the first 10 minutes of this episode for all i knew she was having an affair with odo she was having an affair with quark she was banging it was the kim cattrall part obviously so uh all right so uh next up the picture of chisaro on the pad is actually of special effects designer dan curry he put himself on the pad i mean i would have yeah you, you, would have Keith, been... you would have been all over the place. <laughs> it would have been Keith photoshopped everywhere. Every frame, every uh, hologram. If it wasn't me, it would have been Charlie. So mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Uh, all right. And the uh, last piece of trivial trivia. So when Odo does the... Uh, one more thing. Of course, it is a reference to uh, Columbo. 
because he's uh, investigating it. But the writer of this episode, Peter Allen Fields, wrote numerous episodes of Columbo. So he was actually referencing his own work. Yeah, great. It was a very Columbo episode. It was a super Columbo episode. So super fun. Uh, All right. So you want to know what the next generation was doing, Mike? I I can't. I literally can't wait. (laughs) Well, they were doing Force of Nature which was an environmental episode in which we learn, then quickly forget, that warp drive is tearing the fabric of space. So uh, they end up putting in briefly speed limits on the warp drive, trying not to use it, obviously, you know, referencing uh, what we're doing with our um, oil and, uh, and the environment. But of course, that became very inconvenient from a storytelling perspective so we kind of just forgot about it after that episode but it was it was an interesting idea i liked what they were trying to do mm-hmm. ended up not being a great episode uh anyway so the guest stars on necessary evil include not kim Cattrall, but katherine moffat as vatrick palra Max Grodenchek as rom of course mark alimo as ducat and robert mckenzie as trasco Oh, so, that guy had a, that character had a name. I, I guess so. I guess so. It's a. Uh, it's funny for a show like this. There are frequently fewer guest stars than I imagine they are. Mm-hmm. So I mean, obviously, our recurring cast like Rom and Ducat are almost just regular cast members. Uh, but uh, only two credited other folks. Tons of extras though. So, Mike, what do you say we hop into the uh, screening room, Keith? It is time! Dogs everywhere going insane. Yeah, I I hooked up my Echo in the kitchen Mm -hmm. uh, so I can listen to podcasts. In the while I'm cooking, yeah, and I can't imagine what it would be like for. I'm sure somebody out there is listening to this only is like cooking themselves a delicious meal, and then that comes on. Yeah, I'm sure they're like that, and then they're like, "Hey, Keith, could you stop touching the table, please?" <laughs> what is this bothering you? <laughs> and away we go. You, you don't notice it unless you've got headphones in. Yeah, so. which is every person listening to the show. All right, hold on. That's is that better, right? Yeah, just like don't do it. <laughs> that is a hunt that is never gonna happen. Have you met me? I, I said to Keith, everyone, I was like, I'll get you a an arm, you know, like I'll get you a, a like a suspension for your microphone. And he said, I have one. I just don't want to put it up. No, because it gets in the way. It's always in the way. This this allows me to uh, whatever. Okay. Look All at right, that so- hairdo. Look at that hairdo. All right, we are we begin necessary evil in the teaser. It's a dark and stormy night. Quark is talking to a rich Bajoran lady in a Bee Gees costume. He's also sitting very oddly on that chaise lounge. He knows he knows how to inhabit a chaise, is all I'll say but about like, Quark. Is there is there a non-odd way to sit on a chaise lounge? It's you're right. It is very difficult it forces to look you. Yeah. It forces you into like a weird it's it, it's like a pre-coital couch. Yeah, Jens and I also often discuss because she's all about the corner chaise, and I, I'm like, no, this, it's awkward. It's never comfortable. 
it's they're so uncomfortable. It's designed to make you like, hey, baby, I'm comfortable. Ladies and, and yet, gentlemen, I'm in, in the comments, I know this is what we're supposed to be talking about, but I want to know. Shay's Lounge, thumbs up, thumbs down. Give us a rank. Thumbs, All right. Thumbs down. Yeah, thumbs I agree. Down. Keith, we rarely I, agree, but here we are. We rarely agree, and rarely is Jen wrong and we're right. But I think in this case, <laughs> I'm sure we'll learn case. in the comments we are very wrong. We're always wrong. Yeah. Uh, so Quark and this lady in the Bee Gees costume know each other from during the occupation. She had a shop on the station with her husband, who was murdered. Mm. She wants Quark to retrieve a strongbox that she hid there three years ago, or years ago, and can't get it herself because she's afraid Odo will arrest her for said murder of her husband. Quark agrees to terms and leaves, and then a Bajoran dude shows up having secretly listened. Uh, So... I mean, it's it's a funny setup because it sets up a less interesting episode than we're going to get. But I don't. I guess I don't know any other way to do it, right? Well, it it sets up. Well, it, the only thing it set up for me, I was like, I really wanted to know more about this lady. But I like mm-hmm. that it's a bit of a a bit of a red herring because it's not ultimately about her, which is kind of cool. Uh, it is, and it isn't. I'll tell you who it's not about but he's in the episode quite a bit. Is this weird guy? It's like they they found the weirdest dude to play this part. Not intimidating, what? not scary, not sneaky, weird. They frequently do that. They yeah. they frequently cast very unintimidating people to play intimidating characters. Like uh would like, you know, handle penis chicken face. Yes, handle pe- penis like, chicken face. I'm going to get you, Quark. Yep. I'm scary. Rar. <laughs> and it's like no. Uh, also also the lighting in this episode, they were like uh, they pr- production meeting number one, they're like, "Y'all, we're gonna make this one dark. You mean like well, it's got a, it's dark and gritty? No, no, no. I want it to be actually dark. Well, they're doing a film noir. Yeah, it's it, from the and it, it is that way. And I I commented that from the very beginning. And that's that's great artistic design because not only is it noiry in its in its setups and in its lighting, but in the scoring. They there's a tonal shift clearly in the score, which I think works in, uh, exceptionally well. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we begin Act One. We hear a station security log from Odo. Awesome. He's annoyed that Cisco is making him take notes. Oh, this is the first time we've heard Odo do this. And I I really like it too, because he's sort of doing a day in the life of Odo, you know, doing his inner monologue, which yeah, he never does. Yeah, and later in the episode, he also does. He's like, is this even tonally correct for, for a Starfleet uh, log? I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. No, and it and it, it it is you know again film noir. Did they it change his office? It was a dark and stormy Keith? night, and the broad came in, and blah blah blah. His office uh, seems different. I don't, I don't think so. Like this it, office is different than like when we see him with Kieran Norris later at the end. Well, man, I don't know. Maybe he's got a couple of different like locales. It might be a different angle. Yeah. It might be just a different setup. Um, but it's possible. I mean, they were always adjusting and changing things as as they happened. So. Uh, anyway, so it's late at night and they're turning out the lights on the promenade because again, why it's an airport. There's no night in an airport, but for our purposes here, it's nighttime and uh, Quark and Rom sneak up to what used to be the lady's shop. Rom says he can get in faster. He's figured out a way to break into stuff very efficiently at Quark's. He has his own lockpick set and breaks in easily. Uh, so we're beginning to see, hey, you know, maybe Rom's technical skills aren't, Rom, like, maybe not the dummy 
everyone treats him as, or at least he's got some skills here. Mm -hmm. They take out large clunky flashlights and go to the panel. Rom also has a plan to to open it using magnesite drops, which is similar to what they did in Breaking Bad. Oh, cool. Using using chemistry to break into your stuff. Uh, Very cool practical effects. And the panel opens, and inside is a little box. Um, I thought the the practical effects they did there looked Yeah, every time they do practical effects, I generally enjoy it. And I thought it was a really cool... uh, They always have really cool, unique shots, at least one or two each episode, and I thought this was one of them. Yeah, like an inside-the-panel shot. Mm Mm-hmm. From the it's the box POV, um, but yeah, it's it's always cool. So later, Quark naturally opens it and disappoint is disappointed to see that it's just a piece of paper with eight Bajoran names on it. Rom goes off in search of a camera, <laughs> and the Bajoran guy comes in and takes the list from Quark at Phaser Point. This was before everyone was carrying a camera with them. Uh, at all times, so <laughs> I love like oh, I, I gotta go get my uh, my Insta camera like and then <laughs> click. I don't know if it came out, but hopefully. Oh yeah, yeah, we're old. So uh, the guy shoots Quark, who is thrown back a good twenty feet in quite the stunt. Like if you actually go back and watch that, they yeah. had him obviously had a cable and yanked him back, but that like they really yanked him back. Yeah, and, um, and they do the and, cool tease. You know, obviously we know in the future he's not dead, but they do a cool go- ending act one as he's, is he dead? Yeah, Rom arrives and says Quark has been killed. <laughs> Whatever noise he makes. Uh, I, you know, Rom throughout these first season and a half goes through so many different flavors of Rom and characterization, but this is now full Rom. Mm-hmm. Right, because when we first meet him, he's like, meh, meh, meh. "I'm a, I'm a Frankie. I'm smart and sort of cranky." Then he's sort of dumb, and now he is like, "This knows the rom we know and love." Yeah, and I love the interplay, and I'm sure it's going to go on for the seasons and seasons of of them both basically not caring if the other one dies <laughs> and like kind of planning based on that. But then also it, it, it's funny and it's very indicative, I guess, of the Ferengi culture, but I, every time it makes me, I'm amused. Well, they're brothers, right? Yeah. So like, you know, I, I, I hope that you get pushed in front of a bus so I can get your GI Joes, but then like, I don't actually want that, but like, yeah. I do want those GI Joes, yeah. but you know, it's, it's, it's all of those things. So, Act 2 begins, and Bashir has arrived and is desperately trying to save Quark. He asks what type of weapon hit Quark, and Odo guesses immediately it was a compressed Tetrion beam weapon. Because the scanners can't detect them. Which begs the question, um, hey, maybe uh, pay for the full weapon detection package? Uh, Because if you know there's a weapon, maybe... Yeah, they would have, Keith, but they went to a subscription model, and everybody knows that that's a huge turnoff, so... Oh, no, it's just, it's such a, like, how many upgrades yeah, do you have to have? Subscribe and save my ass. Come on, just give me no, one No, I mean, like, and purchase. yes, you can get the annual package, but, like, I don't want to put out, like, 200 bucks no. right out of my pocket right this minute. No, wrong price point. All right. Oh, I thought this was a great effect. This, like, this hovercraft gurney was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, they, uh, they, they roll Quark off in the Federation anti-grav unit that, wait, 
So they were lying to Melora that whole time? Because remember, like, two episodes ago, like, oh, the anti-graph technology doesn't work on the station. Yeah, but we got this cool thing. We can do it from this angle. We just couldn't shoot a whole episode that way. Were they hazing Melora, just lying? I don't know. Maybe I understand why she was so pissed off. Speaking of pissed off. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think it's interesting here. Bashir's losing his cool a little bit mm-hmm. as he's zapping Quark with the paddles. And I, I think this is where we start to start to transition from a sort of like fun whodunit to like, oh, there's some real stakes in this episode. And and like this this is going to go in a more serious direction than we necessarily started, um, which I think is interesting. So uh, Rom is despondent until Odo reminds him, hey, you know what? If Quark dies, you're going to get the bar. Hmm. And then uh, Rom realizes he's being interrogated. And Odo says he's not as stupid as he looks. And let's not forget, Ben is giving you the best of all side-eye. He's just like side-eye this episode, and I'm here for it. I mean... Come on, Cisco side eye, hashtag Cisco side eye yep. is uh, is is the best. And it's it's interesting because the first couple of seasons, Cisco does a does a lot of like side eye. Later in the series, he gives you just like full on eye contact because he he stops observing, he starts taking charge. So that's going to be ha- we fun. We haven't had a great Ben episode a little in a little while. I'm I'm here. For, I'm waiting for it. That's true. That's true. We haven't. Well, hold on to your hat. Uh. Cisco tries to defend Rom, but let's all remember that Rom literally tried to assassinate Quark last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, oh no, it's his brother. He'd never. Yeah, except for he very much did. Then uh he scary whisper Cisco tells Rom to spell the beams. And he immediately does. He tells B- Odo E A M S spell the beams? No, beans. Spill the beans, Keith, is what you meant to say. Mike, I need you to spill the beans. Please. I'm scary whisper whisper Cisco. Could you please spell the beams? <laughs> spell beams. <laughs> We're basically Quark and Rum, but who's who? Uh, ooh. That's a let us know in the comments below. <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> oh, please don't. Because <laughs> I I think we're both Quark with Rom's incompetence. Yeah, we're both a little Crom, Quarm, um, let's keep going. Rom, Rark. <laughs> All right, you're Rark. I'm Quam. Okay. <laughs> oh, what's uh, happening? I don't know. Um, ah, uh, there we, we go. We need so, some friends, I think. I think we desperately need some friends. So when Rom mentions the box was hidden during the Cardassian occupation, when the and the store was a chemist's shop. Odo is immediately interested. He opens the door and steps back into his memory of the past. DS9 is now darker and bluer, as are Odo's costumes. Uh, and we are now in the past during the Cardassian occupation. And this is where the lighting and effects are amazing. Yes. The shift here. Awesome. Though it does bring up my one wormhole. Okay. Uh, that maybe you can fix for me so I don't have to bring it up later. So we learn through this episode that this was only five years ago. That's right, right. So, yeah. So, which is cool, but, so it was like first order of the business wasn't just cl- when when we took, when when we took over the, the, the space station. 
it wasn't like let's clean up. It was let's completely relight the whole place. I think like, they just turned the lights on. I don't know because Quark's bar is entirely different too. Well, I mean, look, we know changing the lighting is really simple. I mean, you just say, "Hey Google, make the lights be whatever." I guess whatever. you're right. I guess you're right. It's just like the I love the shift. It's just like why did the, it's such a radical departure? But I guess it just shows that the Cardassians weren't particularly interested in aesthetic. Well, I think they were interested in aesthetic. They just had a very different aesthetic. It's it's very uh, it, it's very sort of imperialist and very. Uh, so here's what I want. Okay. Who out there, whoever's listening, creators out there who are looking, looking for a new a new spin on the Star Trek universe. I want the five-year HGTV show <laughs> respecting DS9. That's what I want. I want to follow like the the like the couple that lives in a farmhouse that comes onto DS9 and like redoes. So like <laughs> Welcome to DS9 Flipper Flop. They've got six weeks and forty thousand dollars to turn DS9 from a dank and Cardassian shithole to a beautiful Federation family friendly theme ship. Hundred percent. But by the way, well done. Well improv, Keith. <laughs> no anti grav. No in- <laughs> That's right. There's no budget for that. Well, boy, you know, we anticipated being able to use anti-grav units, but as it turns out, the inspector came and said, nope, they're structural, so what are we going to do, folks? Let's have a meeting. Also, we- this screenshot is, to- sorry, I'm, I'm going to get us out of the bit and back into the episode. Okay, thank you. This screenshot is like totally Odo as a Sith Lord, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, and because it's he's very imperial, he's kind of scary mm-hmm. uh, at this but, point. But, I mean, I guess this is cool, so back into like, Jokes aside, already I can tell, oh shit, we're getting sort of or- Odo origin story and yeah. ish of how he became like a security officer slash investigator and how he was treated on DS9 yeah. by the Cardassians, which I think is cool. It's I think it's super fascinating. And I think this this episode in learning who Odo is is very important and, and watching him change. And you can see in, in Renee's performance, this Odo was very different. Mm-hmm. From the Odo that we know and love later. Well, and also so, his relationship with Kira. Uh, well, yeah, we, we well we we get to see here the first time Kira and Odo meet, and the first time Quark and Odo meet, mm-hmm. uh, which is fascinating. So I, I love that. So uh, Odo has been summoned by Gul Dukat, who at this point is in charge of the station, which we knew he was, but we hadn't seen him in action yet. He first met Odo two years before when Odo was forced to perform stupid Odo tricks for the Cardassian High Command. This was one of the reasons Odo left the Bajoran scientists who were studying him. And this is very important backstory for Odo. Now, I forget, because I, I have stuck in my head, like, I, I know the whole story, how much of the story has been told yet, Mike. Mm-hmm. Do you know much about Odo's time with the Bajoran scientists or how that worked yet? He gave us a little, little teeny bit of insight that he was sort of mistreated and uh, experimented on and such, but that's about it. Yeah, okay. Um, but we get the idea here. He's he's being treated like a, sort of like a carny act and making him do stuff, and, and that's why he left. And so he's, and, and you can see, actually, the screenshot's perfect. Odo's body language mm-hmm. in the past is very different 
He's he's very head down. He's very collapsed onto himself. He doesn't have the confidence. He he feels more insecure, more vulnerable. Well, he makes uh, a, he makes a comment throughout the episode, especially in the flashbacks, about how he's an outsider. He's an other. He doesn't belong uh, to the Bajorans. He doesn't belong to the Cardassians. But he's forced to. They keep you know the the anal- the, the symbolism here is he's continually asked to take a side, and I think that that's the yeah. really central theme of the episode and it's really it's cool for sure uh so ducat asks odo if he has seen a dead person before and he says sure i've seen him in the mines and ducat dismisses them merely as casualties um which of course very much explains the cardassian point of view uh you know during the occupation they're forcing people in labor camps and they're dying right and left it doesn't count it's just casualties of war uh, then Ducat shows Odo a body of a murder victim and tasks Odo with the job of investigating the crime. Odo doesn't want to be a Cardassian agent, but Ducat says he will merely be an investigator. His commanders, Ducats, would just have him execute ten Bajorans at random and call it a day. But Ducat wants the murder actually solved. Uh, And he thinks that Odo will have a better chance of finding out what happened because he's seen as a neutral force and more likely to be trusted by the Bajorans. Um, That's how how altruistic of of Galdacott, huh? To actually want to solve the murder. Well, and that and 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 that's that is the mystery of Ducat, right? Because his motives are uh, are are never what they seem and rarely good, but his logic is sound. He's like, yeah, I mean, Odo is much more likely to be able to solve this murder. Well, we find out later it's not just simply wanting to solve the murder, I mean, but... Well, of course not. Of course not. Well, that's why his motives are always are always shifty. Um, well, and as but, far as he knows, he's banging that lady too, so... Well, that is true. In his performance, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I just, I just filmed a uh, scene where I'm banging the lady, so there it is. So the investigation begins as Ducat introduces Odo to the victim's wife. This is the woman we met with Quark uh, in the future. She says that her husband was having an affair with a new woman who just showed up on the station recently. Odo wonders why she hasn't cried yet and assumes Mm -hmm. she is going to accuse this other woman of the murder. So what I learned from this bit Aside from the fact that in the past, it's only five years in the past, but at least 30% less hair. Uh, we also have learned that Odo doesn't, can't, he's, he's not just, this was really cool to me because it, it really ties into his experimental stuff or his uh, investigatory skills. He's not just replicating, mimicking these forms that he can take on. He actually has to study them and really yeah. observe in order to be able to do that. At least that's what I picked up. So a lot of his Sherlock Holmesian observation skills here tie directly in because he's they, they, the whole thing about him sort of being a court jester and kind of doing tricks for everybody, he's had to really study these various forms in order to, so he's very observant because of that, and he's, that makes him a good investigator. Well, I, I think that's exactly right. And if you think about Odo, especially at this point, but kind of in our present as well, he doesn't really have a lot of friends. He doesn't have much of a social life. He doesn't have a job at this point. So what can he really do but mm-hmm. just sort of sit there and watch people? Actually, Keith, it dawns on me, if I'm remembering correctly, 
that the episode where we learned the most about him was in Duet. That's when we learned about his backstory in like in with the with the scientist and such when he's in the elevator. So no, that wasn't the elevator. What's the elevator? No, that was episode? the Forsaken. Oh, okay, that's the one. That was, yeah. So okay, the tie I'm trying to make doesn't exist. I thought it was the same writer, but it's not. Well, but it's all. But you know, both of them are episodes of Deep Space Nine. Ooh, okay, we're so on to something there, here. There's a connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go, asshole. <laughs> so, uh, so we see a shot of the promenade, and we see that uh, it has a giant fence separating the Bajorans and the Cardassians. Um, which again, it's like I I think the set design here mm. is amazing because you can really get a sense of the oppressive and like sort of scary looking you know it's look we're drawing obvious parallels right but those those fences and those those barriers are very brutal it's it's brutal looking and feeling it's very um yeah it's it's very imposing uh odo and the wife walk through the bajoran sector she and her husband had private quarters which is rare for Bajorans. Then she points at the woman who was having the affair, and dun dun dun, it's Kira. So we head back to the present, and of course, Kira walks up to Odo. She's heard about the list, and she wonders if it had to do with the Vatric murder, either the woman's husband. Uh, I love shifting back and forth mm-hmm. in time, you know, because it's. It obviously, it it has only been five years, but it it's so different. Everything is so different. All the people are so different. The people um, are different, and their relationships are different, and their status are different, and yet there are clearly loose threads. So it's cool that we get the vibe that we're we're tying it up, and it's still connected. Well, and and we're continuing to reinforce, and we have the entire series, just how much the station and the people on it are still affected mm-hmm. by the occupation and what happened there, you know, and Kira, her entire life was in the occupation. She's only been out for like a year and a half. Yeah. And what's so, really unique too about, especially in truncated storytelling, which often 45 minutes feels is that the meta narrative is a singular mystery. Whereas we're also getting two separate mysteries, but they're all connected in one story. So the, 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 the tying of both timelines together are actually is actually seamless every time. So when they do these cross cuts with the same characters, it's not it's not yeah. a trick. It's it's very effective because you're sort of continuing the narrative. It's cool. Well, and and it also it's very human, mm-hmm. right? Because how much of our present is defined by the past? Yeah. And this is a very extreme example, right? All roads lead to the occupation, but even you know even us talking shit to each other, that's tied to our past. That's tied to 20 years of of whatever and our experiences and the subtext. And like, it's, I don't know, I think it's very interesting. So we begin act three and Odo recaps the story. Thank you. If we uh, went and got a sandwich, missed some of it. And tells us that after five years, he's never solved Batrick's murder. He continues to interrogate Rom. And Rom is excited to get back to his bar. Time out. But Odo, time yeah. out. Sorry, just to, re- to revisit, the set is awesome. 
In just, in just their establishing pan shots, we've got this amazing creature design here, which isn't even in focus. We've got an amazing door design in the background, and then we've got this like weird fish tank back illuminated. Which thing I've never happening. seen before. No, and this is just a establishing shot that in a pan that I caught on a screenshot. I mean, it is yeah. awesome. Okay. All they're doing is setting their time and split time yeah. and place. It's, I mean, yeah. I really want to be on that And set. so unique from all other Trek stuff I've seen, to, to your yes. point about Deep Space Nine, which I think is cool. The the the, the setting, the visual, the because it's it's Cardassian architecture, not Federation. It's just patently different than anything we see on any of the shows. And you know, and and is Voyager dis, you know different from the Enterprise? Yeah, but it's still very recognizably Federation design. And also shout out, like what I love is that even like species, right? Just like humans. So Ferengi here, just because they're both Ferengi, he, he, the 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 design, the facial design of Rom versus Quark, completely different. The shape of their head, the size of their head, the 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 incredible detail in their different teeth, really awesome. Yeah, I mean, Rom's snaggletooth is part of the storytelling. Yeah, right. It shows where Rom is in the food chain. You know, like they didn't didn't get Ferengi braces. Like there's something going on, and it's I don't know. It's just great detail design. Uh, so uh, Rom decided to get back to his bar, and Odo reminds him Quark isn't dead yet. So Rom immediately wants him to pull the plug. <laughs> he wouldn't want that. <laughs> he wouldn't want that. He's not it's being like, artificially held together. Oh, he wouldn't want that. No, he wouldn't want that. No, no, no. Just take. Just, uh, sh- I lol there. I lol. It's pretty funny. Um, and Odo, <laughs> thanks, Quark. Odo takes Rom through meditation to try to get him to remember the names on the paper. Which is actually a thing, mm-hmm. and he gets and one. He, and he gets one. He thinks he remembers the name Chesso. Then we uh, again, really cool, just direction here. We just see a, a shot of happy children playing on the promenade as Kira comes up to talk about to Odo about the past, and we get the idea that something definitely went down. You know, to your point, Keith. You know, we see the happy children running, and in the first establishing shot, when we saw the fence that you had mentioned before, they had little children running around, like the 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 the, the occupied children. Yeah. So it's it's a and, cool little. Well, and and we're we're about to go directly and see yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Um, just really cool, you know, like way it is the way it was. Um, Sometimes you can show, not tell, which is cool. That's right. We go back to the past. It's much darker and bleaker, and this is where we see. Children literally holding on to the fence. It's, it's, uh, woof. Uh, Odo goes up to Kira in the past. Ponytail Kira, don't forget. Ponytail Kira. And she immediately recognizes that Odo is a security officer. She denies killing Vatrick, but she also denies that they were having a romance at all. She asks Odo to think about why Ducat is using him. Again, what side are you on? The, the question of the episode. Odo pokes some holes in her backstory about how she got to the station and this, that, the other thing, and questions her alibi. He tells her not to leave. She says, which I'm not sure, like, under the occupation, do they have the ability to leave? She obviously got there. I mean, I, I guess I guess they can travel with permits or whatever between the station and, and Bajor. Um, but it's obviously not a free society. Uh, she says 
of course, he's going to have to choose a side between Cardassia and Bajor eventually. We head back to the present. Odo goes to Bajor to meet with the widow again. She denies knowing anything about the list. We know she's lying. She seems shifty, and Odo columbos her. She seems rich, but it turns out she's out of money. And uh, But she says, I got a loan from a friend. So we begin Act 4. Quark is still clinging to life in the infirmary. Kira comes in and says she's found Chesso. Turns out he's dead. And there, and there's the picture of the <laughs> prop designer. Turns out he's dead. He was murdered last night. He has, uh, and he has Kira, I mean Odo, has Kira mobilized the Bajorans for an investigation. We head back into the past, and Quark is happily running his bar during the occupation. Perfectly happy. This is great for Quark. Odo meets him for the first time. Quark wants to hire him to do tricks, but he does confirm Kira's alibi for the murder. Says she was auditioning for the job. Mm. Now, as Kira immediately shut down Odo, thinking that he was... uh, Pervy. It was propositioning her as a sex worker. Uh, this, of course, allows Odo to see that she's lying because she said that's that's not on the table or knowing that uh, that Quark is lying here. Uh, Odo spots which I the think lie is immediately. a great deal, which is, yeah, obviously it's, yeah. it's a little on the nose, but regardless, it's really great writing. I mean, the it's the the plot, the plot writing and pacing in this episode is pretty ironclad. Yeah. And like, there's nice breadcrumbs set up, and there's payoffs and whatnot. I think it's it's really great in that regard. And it and it and it tracks. And it turns out she paid Quark for the alibi, which also all of that tracks. Quark doing that, totally fine with that. Ducat arrives and asks if he should arrest Kira. Odo says, "Not yet. All you have is a broken alibi. You do not have proof of a murder." We head back to the present and see Dax and Cisco, and Odo tells them that he's possibly cobbled together the list of names based on the Vatric Widow's communications. So this is where good investigatory work happens off screen, but uh, they checked the Widow's communications. She's had communications from eight people, and they've all sent her money. That's the only part that it seems very convenient, right, is that She's not very good at being a baddie. Like she's got all these henchmen and she she went to Quark, but like she doesn't have a better, or maybe she's desperate, right? I guess because there's a, there's a ticking clock because it seems very, very easy that they just like, she's the one they got their eye on. So they just like read her emails and oh, look, she's right. She's emailing eight people. You think she would have taken some back channels for that, but. Well, but that's. I mean, A, you're right about the ticking clock, right? She'd run out of money. They they mentioned earlier they'd turned off her power. Yeah. Um, so she was in sort of desperate straits, but she knew that she had her get out of jail free card with these names. Yeah. It, and, you know, and at this point, she didn't know that Odo had caught anybody. Mm-hmm. Right? Because from her point of view, she sends Quark to get the list. Her guy gets the list from Quark. We don't know that anybody's investigating or anybody knows about the list. You don't think, so maybe her guy didn't mention that he shot Quark dead? We shot Quark dead, thinking, have killed anyone who knew about the list uh, or the or the uh-huh. deal at all. But because Rom, Rom, Rom uh, went away to go get his, to get his, uh, his, his film camera. That's it. That, that fixes it for me. 
So she had she had no reason to be nervous about it. Also, she's not a hardened criminal, mm-hmm. right? She's just a desperate lady. Um, so uh, Quark, I mean, Odo thinks that these people on the list are being blackmailed because they were profiteering from the Cardassians during the occupation. He wants to bring the widow in for questioning. And we see the widow's buddy who shot Quark listening in. I'm scary. Look at me. I've got a... What, uh, he's got apparently very Adam's good. At, family. Yeah, the, the, he's got a seven head uh, instead of a He's got the head. opposite of me. The Eddie, what are they called? The Eddie Monster. Uh, the Eddie Monster. The he's got beat. Eddie Monster. I have no monster. It just goes straight. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the Eddie Vedder. Uh, it's just, just sneaking, just sneaking back. So this is the one other nit. So the whole episode is about how great everybody is at investigating, or Odo and, and the team. And yet we don't figure out that the henchman's there the whole time, and he's just like eavesdropping on everyone's conversations. Nobody picks up on that. Well, I mean, I guess why would they? Come on. This weird I, I... guy's skulking around. Come on. There's weird guys skulking around in every corner of the I entire know. station. Okay, well then it gets it gets more egregious later when he we'll get to it. That that said, uh, at some point, uh, you know, and I I hate the surveillance state that we all live in, but like maybe throw a camera up or two on the promenade. That seems not not unreasonable. Uh, and you'd think Quark would have cameras all over the place that he controlled at least. Uh, anyway, so we begin Act 5. Unfortunately, they're all in the bathroom, if you catch me. Ew. Come on, Odo's Quark. Quark gonna Quark. No, I get it. Yeah. Um, or or maybe Quark gonna pretend that that's, he's interested in that when he's not really. Mm. And the Mysterious. Very good point on mm-hmm. our Patreon. So, in Act 5, Odo speculates that his interest in justice might be a characteristic of his species. Yeah, I love this monologue. He says, there's no room for loyalty or friendship or love in justice. Uh, hmm, foreshadow much? Indeed, indeed. Uh, but, you know, I, the the mystery of what Odo's species is like, you know, because again, if you're the only one, you don't know what your characteristics of your species are. So you can only extrapolate from yourself. Is that specific to Odo or is that his whole species? Really interesting questions as we move forward. Right, but also, Keith, in the meta picture, is it not just a question, is it another interesting way to reframe the human experience? Because we love to to to, to bluster and talk about how justice and various other moral edicts are so black and white, are very rigid, black right. and white, and should be viewed that way. In reality, we all know we are humans with human emotions, for better or for worse, with loyalties, with jealousies, with uh, g- bad motives, good motives. And so it's all colored with these things. And so looking at things rigidly black and white isn't particularly a successful tactic. And and Odo uh, might be about to learn that. Well, and I think as we're exploring the various parts of our human experience, you know, the difference between rigidity and thinking that things are gray, you use sci-fi to really explore those things by having Odo representing rigidity and Quark representing moral flexibility and their love story is inherent to the show and they're learning from each other. Good sci-fi. Good stuff, guys. So we head back into the past and Odo confronts Kira about her fake alibi. 
She continues to lie to him. She asks, whose side is he on? She says that once she tells him the truth, you'll need to choose sides. She says she didn't kill him. When he was killed, she was sabotaging the ore processors. Uh, and she admits that she's a part of the underground, and that's why she needed an alibi. And in if Odo tells on her, she will be executed. So, of course, Ducat walks in immediately as she's basically as she's finishing her sentence. And Odo says she didn't kill Batrick, but he does not mention the sabotage. So in that moment, Odo immediately chooses sides. We head back to the present. And the widow's heavy kills the Bajoran guard, who sucks at his job. So he he goes in to finish off Quark. Yeah, so you remember uh, when... Odo was very specific about he's got he thinks he's got it figured out so he's like send security down to protect Quark and blah blah. blah. They sent this guy. That's it. They didn't put a lock on the door. They didn't put a camera up. They just this is what I mean. Like this this it's guy, like oh flowers. Oh, oh yeah. Well, of course, come on in. Just, yeah, flowers. I'm so thoughtful. And also, he blasted Quark with a blaster. But now his idea is let's go ahead and put a pillow over his and just smother him. Just blast well, and- his face off. Well, maybe Odo decided to pay for the weapon detector package. He's like, ah, oh, hell with it. I'm going to buy buy the uh, the upgraded package. Oh, sorry. So, But in that logic, sorry, sir, we can't let you in with your flowers because you got a phaser. So he goes, oh, okay, quick. I'll go put my phaser away. Now I'll come back in with flowers and I'll just smother him. Oh, okay. Well, and a knife. He had a knife. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. He had a knife and a pillow. He had a knife and a pillow. But makes you makes you wonder why he was like, that knife just killed that Bajoran guard instantly. Mm-hmm. Let me use a pillow as yeah. opposed to just cut his throat. There's this guy a, sucked. Yeah, yeah it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't great. <laughs> Tough guy sucked. Uh, but they were also, the, the, the special effects department was like, also, when you smother him, make sure you get it low. Do not do, not deform the uh, prosthetic. D- yeah, are you kidding me? <laughs> we do not want to, sp- to stop filming for three hours to fix this prosthetic. They're very expensive. Uh, yeah, so, which again, use the knife. What but do you then doing? also, thank God Odo was directly outside. <laughs> well, it's Rom. Rom enters oh, and, he, and, and he screams. Squeaks. Yeah. He screams. Uh, they fight a bit. <laughs> then Odo shows up and arrests the guy. Then, once Rom realizes he saved Quark, he starts screaming even louder. Ha! Ah, yeah. Hilarious. So uh, the widow, now wearing a flapper headband, <laughs> is now on the station. Yeah, exactly. We're we're all gonna. Uh, why? Where's my brain? Uh, do the Charleston. Yeah, there we go. I mean, if they all stopped to do the Charleston briefly, holy this, crap! This would be a ten out of yeah. ten. <laughs> All the self-sealing stem bolts if you yep. stop and do the Charleston. <laughs> <laughs> so she denies knowing the assassin, uh, and she is thrown into the brig and asks for her lawyer. So they throw throw both the assassin and the widow. Get Bobby in Donald the brig. on the line. She says she didn't kill her husband. And Odo says, I know. At which point. Kira follows him into his office. He's figured out it was Kira, after all. And that Batrick was a collaborator with the Cardassians, just like the other names on the list. 
And Kira was there to get the list of collaborators and apparently assassinate them. That's also why Odo was put on the case. Because he needed to hide, Dukat needed to hide his connection to the list. Kira confesses that she did indeed kill Vatrick when he walked in on her. Odo says he misjudged her. She was a better liar than he thought. She didn't tell him later because she was afraid it would affect their friendship. Odo doesn't arrest her. But when she asks if he'll ever be able to trust her the same way again, he just puts his head down and we fade to black. Awesome ending. But right before that, he says, she goes, I hope this doesn't affect, I didn't want it to affect her friendship. And he says, maybe it doesn't have to. But then they, you know, this scene happens, they fade to black and we don't get an answer. And I, it's the best non-ending, right? They could have done. I'm sure there was a draft where they were like, well, maybe it's just perfect. It's, it's a perfect ending of it. Yeah. No. And, and it is, it is a, um, rare in Trek, especially, especially at this point, you know, coming off of next generation, next generation would be very reticent to not tie that up and not to like put things back together the way they would be, because we know like we're going to come back next episode. This is still hanging over them. This is actual character progression and relationship progression, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I think, fascinating and great. And it all makes sense. Um, and Odo, once again, is forced to pick what side. And for the, uh, for the second time, he picks Kira, uh, which is interesting. So, uh, Mike, you know what it's time for? Let's do it. No. Oh, no. Oh, God. Blew it. Just totally blew it. And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek Vocabulary Quiz. Okay, this first one is easy. It is, what is a compressed Tetrion beam? Uh, that's the thing where they can pick locks. No, that is the weapon they shot Quark with, oh, which right. was on the uh, was on the, the the premium plus weapon detection package. Odo was not paying for. Right. Your next one, and then we'll see how close you were listening and put together context clue. What is the ore processing center? The ore processing center is where they process the ore, Keith, and it's where Kira had to break in, or she that was her alibi for what she was doing on the station when she was really uh, assassinating the plotters. Which I, I think is is important to remember what the station was there for to begin with. It was a mm-hmm. mining station. Yeah. And so that's why it's so big and that's that's what's going on. That's why there's so much empty space on it. Because there's no longer a mining station. Alright. Now it is time to come along home and I'm gonna I'm gonna get a present for you. While the uh, while the jingle's going, okay. Okay, here we are at Quarks, and uh, Mike, 
we do a, I don't know if you, I don't know if you know, but we do a uh, a little show about Star Trek toys. Look at my Star Trek toys. Boy, you had that one queued up. It's true. And uh, there is one figure. Well, it's a couple figures, but here is one figure you have not seen yet. Oh boy! Okay. So look at your screen. Maybe you'll recognize this. Oh, I was going to ask earlier if there's an Odo in his like pre DS nine days. There sure is. Is that and a here... is that a real one or is it a no? It's a, a real custom. one. That's cool. So here is a pre DS nine Odo through my like pixelated. Uh, NDI feed. He looks like uh, Michael Myers, but you know, he does look like Michael <laughs> Myers. It's all coming together. Yeah. It's great. Synchronicity. Synchronicity, indeed. All right, so uh, let's do wormholes in the plot, Mike. Did you find any wormholes in this plot? To be honest, outside of the, you know, the kind of like less than awesome henchman and and sort of the the, the breach of security of just letting him sort of skulk about without ever being on anyone's radar that's really it for me i thought in fact the lack of wormholes was one of my favorite parts of this episode i thought if you're gonna do a noir episode and a sherlock holmesian noir mystery episode it better be i i always like a a whodunit in that you know they they gave us enough breadcrumbs enough seeds to to figure out the case along with Odo as we go along. And I thought that they did a really great job of that. And I was really interested. Uh, the pacing was great. Uh, I didn't find a lot of wormholes, Keith, you? Uh, no, I, I think the, the level of security on the station sucks. Yeah. We've, we've, um, we've, we've, we've hammered that before. It, it, it needs to for the storytelling purposes. So um, I don't need to hammer home like, Odo, our amazing investigator, is not actually that good of a security yeah. person. However, I think he would defend himself by saying, "This is a this is an airport with no security. So there's crazy amounts of people coming through. It it calls in criminals. There's very few of us, and a lot of them. There's a lot of turnover. So there's not a lot that he." can do sometimes and he's being hamstrung by federation restrictions he he'd like to be much more hardcore about he wants to be john ashcroft but the federation won't let him mm. so he is investigating with his hands tied behind his back so maybe that's why there's not cameras maybe the federation was like uh no we value our privacy to the point where we're not going to just put a camera on literally everything like we do today so i don't know maybe i fixed my own wormhole Okay. Uh, but but the rest of that, no, it 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 really does all track. Uh, it's a little, it's complex, right? It's a you know, there's there's actually several layers of this. Um, and uh, Kira's three different stories because she had the yep. she had the initial story, she had her if shit goes wrong story, and then the real story. Um, love it. Yep. That's that's complex and interesting. She was she was a spy, and she's gonna have layers of that. Um, so no, I really didn't have a lot of wormholes. Yeah. She was more than a spy. She was an assassin. Yeah. 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 Although I, I, I'm, I'm well, not yeah. sure her, it wasn't her job to kill them all. He, she says he, he walked in on her, so she, she had to kill him, but clearly the, whoever was on that list was going to get murdered by somebody. Right. Like somebody was going to take them out. Um, and you can understand why. So let's do a favorite moment, Mike. Wow. There's so many good ones. Uh, 
I'm going to pick the last scene, the very yeah. last scene between Kira, Norris, and Odo, because it it answers a lot of questions without answering any questions, right? There's no point put on it. It's just Odo and her. It's First of all, she's under no... I love that she's not shocked that he figured it out. She knows he figured it out. He knows he figured it out. And yet she she gives him the same sort of, not ultimatum, but the same opportunity to turn her in or whatnot as she does in the past. It parallels again from the future. And he tacitly, you can see he's wrestling with it, but at the same time, he's he's grown in his respect and in his admiration and in his love for her. Yet he's still wrestling with his that rigidity and that and what his idea of justice is and and loyalty it's wonderful it's wonderfully acted it's wonderfully written it, the vibe is correct it fits the rest of the episode but it also presents the viewer with questions right do we yeah. you know they've they've portrayed the occupation i think effectively but still we learn a little bit something about kira here i mean she's yeah she's always oh for sure she's always been very heroically framed in her behavior during the occupation but here we learn that whether you agree with it or not whether it's in in the heat of a war that was right or wrong it doesn't it doesn't uh absolve her of having done the following those things and having lied about it for those five years if if by omission and so we are left with some questions. We are left with some thoughts and some ponderings about characters we've come to love and trust. We're in a very similar position to Odo at the end of this episode, yeah. asking very similar questions. Yeah. And it's hard not to just think in that scene, because I was loving the episode up to that point, but then in that scene, and you think, oh, we sort of got played by her and the lie and the this and that and the blah, blah, blah. And you're like, that's when I, literally in my head, I was like, Oh, they nailed it. Nailed it. Hashtag nailed it. So yeah. that's my that's my favorite scene. Yeah, no, I I think you're I think you're right. I mean, I this it's funny that we we kept mentioning duet because this obviously we spend more time on on other characters than we did in duet, but in a lot of ways, this is a sequel to it. Mm-hmm. And the duet is between Odo and Kira. And we're seeing a, as opposed to a conversation that takes place over a week, it's a conversation and exploration that takes place over five years between between the two of them. And both of them, right, are about exploring the morality of the things that they did or had to do during the occupation. And it, I think it's, it's fascinating. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think there were some really funny like rom moments, and that that was kind of fun. But yeah, I mean, this final scene, I think, like you said, sticks the landing. It nails the landing in a way that um, is is a little bit surprising. Not necessarily for Deep Space Nine, because Deep Space Nine is thoughtful like this and is uh, brave enough to explore the grays here. Um, so yeah, I, I I mean I think you're right. I think it, this whole episode hinges on that final scene that elevates it from a standard whodunit to a very um, complex and adult and moving exploration of this. So uh, Mike, now it's time to throw out some uh, self sealing stem bolts. 
I think they nailed it. I really love this episode. And I, I love that they, they not only were able to tell a really impactful story, a really interesting mystery, they trimmed the fat really well. With the exception of Henchman, who was sort of, you know, a little bit of a, he was a weak character. Everyone else, anyone who was on screen had an interesting, compelling narrative. You could argue that the the widow, I would have, I mean, I get, we, we learn of her motivations. You actually presented it really well, the way she, her ticking clock and, and that she was out of money and all those things. I would have maybe, if it was a little longer, I maybe would have loved to see a little bit more about that. Right, because I think it adds even an extra dimension of what, what her, her, where she was coming from, right, and why that that backstory of her having that that nest egg of the blackmail is actually pretty interesting. And then how Ducat ties into it—that's really interesting too. But that's another tale for another day, right? Uh, but even every time you see Ducat on screen, his duplicity or his potential duplicity is fascinating because he's still in the present. We know of his tête-à-tête his uh, alliance with with Cisco, with Odo, but we know it's fraught. We know that there's tension. We know that there's machinations behind the scenes. And we get all kinds of that goodness here too. Everything we see in the past, aesthetically, story-wise, awesome. Really powerful. I, just when I thought Kira couldn't get more nuanced, she's even more nuanced and interesting as a character to me. Odo yeah. as well. Uh, and then on top of that, they were able to do the the Ferengi humor stuff really well. I thought Rom handled it really well, this episode being sort of the first time he's allowed sort of a lead part without Quark, with Quark being incapacitated the whole episode. Right, yeah. And on top of that, it does what we always talk about, we love about sci-fi. It frames a very human question with sci-fi trappings, and it makes... And it gives Odo, a very non-human species character, very human moral quandaries. And it has them explain them. And not only that, it also is a pretty awesome noir episode, noir mystery. Yeah. And so, and a non-murder mystery, mystery, even though there's a murder in the past. Really cool. Just uh, everything about it really worked for me. Uh, I would I would venture to say in my limited catalog of episodes thus far my favorite episode in season two easy yeah in the running for my favorite episode period in the running i love genre exploration i love when we make tonal shifts and so i think it's interesting that we were a little heightened to this episode i thought the score was incredible i thought the lighting was intense and really cool it set the mood great i'm giving it 91.5 self-sealing stem bolts yeah. Um yeah, I mean I I agree with you. I think it's a I think it's a, a terrific episode. Um and it it's it's a terrific episode that easily could have been not terrific. I I think is I think is the interesting thing about it because we start with um you know, obviously we're doing a a film noir murder mystery. We're doing our own sort of like Odo as Dixon Hill sort of a deal. We have a stock femme fatale. We have the heavy going around and it easily could have been a like standard Odo solves a murder, whatever. Uh, who cares? Mm -hmm. Right. But what they did was they found a way to integrate our characters into the story 
where we are learning new things about each of our characters. We're developing our characters, both through backstory and through them changing in the present, in a way that a lot of the episodes forget to do. We come out of this knowing more about each of these characters. The station itself is a character. And, you know, seeing what the station yeah. looked like in the occupation and the change in the physical, the lighting, the the fencing, the whatever, it's all a major character on the show. And we learn more. You know, we're never going to look at the promenade again and not think about, well, there used to be a fence in here blocking the Bajorans from the Cardassians. Like, that this 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 happy promenade used to be a tool of oppression. Yeah. And it really does change all of that. I think the, obviously the character of Odo, I think Renee gives an amazing performance non-verbally. You know, I, I mentioned his body language in the past versus the present and watching him change, his confidence changed, his his knowing where he fits in the world. You can you can see that he knows better where he fits in the world in the present, just in his physicality. And I think that that is just a, a terrific performance. I thought Nana Visitor did a, a fantastic job here as well. Um, both of these characters are in the early lead for the most interesting characters on the show. And and watching, and and there's a third character, right? There's Odo, there's Kira, but then there's Odo and Kira. Yeah, their relationship as a character is really interesting, and uh, I I really and, and the fact that they have this much backstory, mm. and 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 you can say the most re- interesting relationships are Odo and Kira and Odo and Quark, and we see why now because of this history that they have. Mm-hmm. They have so much more relationship momentum than any other characters here other than Dax and Cisco. Yeah. Um, so I I really like and I really like that. And I really like that they they took a like a stock idea and used it to deepen and progress the show. And these are contexts we're going to carry with us forever now. Right, our understanding of the station, understanding of Kira, understanding of Odo, understanding of their relationships, understanding Odo and and Quark's relationship. This is going to inform every subsequent episode moving forward, and that is good TV. That's good writing, and uh, it's a. I think it's a. It's an excellent episode. Um, so, yeah, I mean, were there a couple of things that weren't? They were a little iffy. I mean, the the henchman was bad. The the wife. Could have been much more interesting. She was very stock femme fatale. But again, had they made her more interesting, it would have detracted from what this episode really is. I mean, she's she's the potted plant that needs to be there, yeah. right? Because this is about Odo and Kira. That's what this is about. And we actually don't want those other things to distract distract us from that. Mm-hmm. It is it is duet part two, <laughs> really. Yeah. Um so uh so yeah, I, I think it is um I think it's easily the best episode of season two so far. Um and uh yeah, I think for that I'm gonna give it uh I'm gonna give it 90. 90 self-sealing stem bolts. So uh yeah, really good episode, fun stuff. Uh 
Are, Mike, are you having fun on Deep Space Nine? Dude, loving it. This one more so than the practice. In fact, I I have to make myself not watch reruns. Like when I see them on on TV and when I pop up the Hulu and it's like, hey, do you want to continue watching Deep Space Nine? I have to be like, mm, I'd like to. I sure would. Uh, in fact, Keith, as you know, because I've been emailing you, I never, I've been text messaging you. I like, I find myself watching interviews with Armin Shimmerman on- Don't do with, it! With Live and Regis and Kathy Lee. And I just like- That's I, right. I, I want to I wanna look at them on at Comic-Con and at- Yeah, but you, you have to make a deal with me though. Yeah. And that is you can watch interviews and read stuff about it only up until the episode that we're watching. Well, that's hard to do, but that's why so I'm trying to like- spoilers. Yeah, yeah you, that, you, it is you, hard. The spoilers are everywhere. Especially- you watch one or two videos and then you're into that algorithm and they start feeding me stuff and I'm trying so desperately to avoid it. Yeah, and, don't, and to be, don't do it. To be fair, and I say this with all sincerity, I know nothing about the fates of these characters, about the, the plot twists that are coming. I had, I think at some point I took my headphones off when we were interviewing uh, Chris uh, oh, for yeah. the other show and like you guys were talking about something and I, I did my best I've done my best to avoid everything so I hope that that remains I know we have a lot of a lot of podcasts yeah. left so we'll see keep keep going with the earmuffs because yeah. there is um I mean and, and that, you know the crazy thing is and I, I I keep saying it and I keep saying it I keep saying it the show hasn't even really started yet which is nuts to me yeah <laughs> like we haven't we haven't really begun the story yet I know there's like video games I want to play, but they're like based in the lore starting in like season four, I think. So yeah, I, I you can't definitely can't. No. Anyhow. But look, it's coming. We do this once a week. I know. You know, know a do. year from now, you're going to be right into it. I know. You know who else will be into it a year from now, Keith? Mm, who's that? Hopefully four <laughs> slides of patrons. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to get in on the ground floor of being a producer on the show, you can do so. Thanks. If you want to get in on the only floor. Thanks to our patrons. You can join them at patreon.com slash KM. Keith, we did yeah. it. We did it. We did it. Next week, we are going to be discussing second sight. So uh till then, check out uh KM Geekly. Check out look at my Star Trek toys. Thank you for watching. Till then. This has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM. <laughs>